You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Keely. Hey, Chris. Welcome to Heard It on the Sidelines. Heard It. Heard It on the Sidelines with Shotgun Spratly. Spratly. Welcome back to the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast with Shotgun Spratling. And yes, that is still Keely in the intro because even if she left us, she long before deposited intro gold. There's no reason for us to give that up. I know it's been a while for the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast. We've been in a bit of a transitional period here at uscfootball.com with Keely departing the organization and my departure from Southern California. But we're trying to get back in the groove, bring back the Heard It podcast. And what better time to jump in than after a huge rivalry win over UCLA in this episode, we're going to chat with the star of that victory, what will be forever known in USC lore as the Drew Peterson game. We talked with the Pac-12 Player of the Week, Drew Peterson, about his career-high 27-point, 12-rebound, 5-block, 4-assist performance, how he turned around a slump to catch fire when his team needed him the most, and the reaction he's received around campus since the game. Later in the episode, Daily Trojan Sports Editor and USCFootball.com intern Anthony Grieb joins us to give his thoughts on the performance against UCLA. The atmosphere in the Galen Center sold out crowd, looked amazing, super jealous there, and what the Trojans have to do going forward to build on that victory. For any first-time listeners, the Heard It on the Sideline podcast, hosted by yours truly, Shotgun Spraddling, is a part of the Peristyle podcast family of shows. The Heard It podcast is an attempt to take you behind the curtain a little bit and give you a behind-the-scenes feel as we interview people about USC sports, including UCLA killers like Drew Peterson. Without further ado, we welcome in the man, the myth, the legend, Drew Peterson, at least for the last week, uh, you know, after that UCLA game, the Drew Peterson game is now is what is now being referred to. Drew, thanks for taking some time away from being fanned by servants and whatnot. At least that's what I imagine life is like after you have a career game against your rival in front of a sold out crowd. How have the last couple of days been for you? Yeah, I mean, the, the support's definitely been awesome. Um, you know, a lot of family, friends, you know, former Trojans, all that stuff reaching out. And um, it's been really awesome. You know, you could see all the support just through the athletic community and the community as a whole um, just around LA. It's, it's been really cool. And all my friends back home reaching out, but you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, you know, getting too invested in it. We got another, another week ahead, still got the rest of the season, you know, it's, uh, it's one game. So, you know, we're right back at it. You know, I'm not, I'm never going to be satisfied with even beating UCLA and stuff like that. One hell of a game, though. Around campus, you know, when you're walking around campus to class, when you're, you know, if you go through the row, you're walking by the 9-0 or even into your Starbucks to get your coffee. How has the rest of the USC community treated you? Because obviously you guys as basketball players, you always stand out because of your height. Um, But after you come off a game like that in a sold-out arena, so many students there, you know, has there been a little bit more love from from the, the, the student community as well? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, I've taken a few pictures, uh, you know, people reaching out, people in my class, like, you know, DMing me, all that stuff, saying you know, congrats, all all that. But it's definitely been cool around campus. Uh, campus just feels like it has a lot of energy. Obviously, you know, it's good when, you know, the basketball team plays well. We get more and more support as we go on through the year. So um, a game like that really helps us, you know, not only our resume, but really establish ourselves in, you know, the basketball athletic community around here and getting fans to consistently come to games. So it's, it's really cool. It's been awesome. 
Yeah, earlier in the year, I talked to Chavez. I talked to a couple other guys about the atmosphere, being back, playing in front of fans after last year, you know, just the the weirdness of 2020. Um, but you guys haven't had anything like the turnout you had on Saturday night. You had a couple of good crowds, but that place looked like it was rocking. I'm jealous that I wasn't there in person to be, to be able to see it. Uh, what was it like in the arena for you on Saturday with that overflowing student section, the place being sold out? Is that the best basketball atmosphere you played in? Oh, 100%, uh, especially because my first year, obviously, at USC was the COVID year. But, you know, I walked in to shoot around and uh, a few hours before the game, and there are already, you know, 30 people waiting outside, you know, three, four hours before the game, which is awesome. So it's just really cool to see that, you know, the energy and, you know, it feels like, you know, really a primetime basketball area to be in. And uh, as I was driving to the game, the line is just rats around the building. And so it's, it's really cool. The energy is awesome. And it's, it's definitely the best atmosphere. I've never been involved in a court storming either. So it was, it was definitely, a, you know, a, a pretty surreal moment, to say the least. Yeah, it seemed like you fed off that energy all night. Now you're a guy that that plays with some emotion. You know, you'll you'll talk some smack every once in a while. You'll pump up the crowd a little bit. And obviously, you have a monster night, a career night, scoring 27 points. You had the five blocks of career high there as well. One rebound away from tying your career high, making threes, making fadeaways, scoring on all three levels, added four assists to steal. Basically, you showcased the entire arsenal. Did you get a sense in warmups or early in the game that you were locked in? Was there something that kind of let you know, like, okay, I feel like I can have a good game in some sort of fashion tonight? Nothing too crazy. I mean, obviously, with Isaiah being out, that was a factor. We were coming into a big rivalry game, and, um, you know, you know, we needed another little bit of a piece of energy to try and make up for, obviously, all he does for us. But, you know, I kind of felt it going early on. You know, I hit my, my first – I think I missed my first shot. I got the offensive rebound, but then I hit a couple mid-ranges, and – I felt the confidence and, you know, when, especially, uh, you know, coming off a couple of bad shooting games, it's really good to get going early. And, um, you know, the whole week, my teammates, my staff are all telling me like, don't be passing up shots. I passed up a few threes against Pacific and, you know, coach Mobley, coach Enfield, Capco, all of them. Um, they tell me you got to shoot the, those open threes, you know, they need me to knock them down. Um, it also takes pressure off myself for my game where I'm able to drive because of the pressure I put them on from the arc. So, it just kind of throughout the game, you know, domino effect and continue to build momentum. And then obviously, you know, I think after that shot over Riley on the right wing was kind of when I was like, wow, this is <laughs> pretty crazy late in the game. But, you know, I, I can't thank, you know, my teammates enough for, you know, really trusting me in those spots and, you know, helping give me the ball. And, you know, I'm playing off Chavez's ball screens and, you know, Ethan's knocking down shots that I'm passing off of. So, um, I, you know, it was a total team effort stepping up big time without Isaiah there. My favorite part was the reaction after that play over Cody Riley. You turned to the courtside fans. You let out a couple of, oh, shit, kind of exclamations, <laughs> letting it be known. I immediately recognized that type of response, having played, caught fire, maybe once or twice in my life, but, uh, you know, playing with guys that have as well. But for our listeners that haven't, can you kind of explain the emotions right there and the thoughts that are going through your head when you kind of turn to the crowd, your eyes are a little bit big because you know you're feeling it. You know that you know you're NBA Jam on fire at that point. Uh, can I explain the the emotions right then for for anyone who hasn't gone through experience that? Yeah, I mean it's definitely something I can't really put into words. Um, it's almost like being like speechless, and I think that's what just came out when I was uh, <laughs> after I hit that shot. But you know, it, it's just crazy because you know it's like you know Saturday night primetime game and. Um, against our rivals and obviously you know the history of Taj and Jonah and all that stuff and um, you know we wanted to keep it going and thankfully I got my moment in that kind of you know little rivalry and you know whatever you call five game win streak and I, did, I just kept letting it fly and my teammates were able to trust me in those spots and after 
you know, hitting the shot over Riley and, you know, the fadeaway over Hawkins, I think on the right, the right short corner. Um, I just knew I got to keep it going. And, you know, some guys have those games and, you know, there's games where Boogie's had those games where, you know, Chavez just took in Isaiah, you know, so thankfully it was just my day to step up and it came at a really, um, you know, critical time for us where we needed a big time resume booster and statement win to going into March and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll jump into that in a second. One of the most interesting things I thought um, is, and you touched on it, was you came in having really struggled the week before. You know, you didn't shoot well in the Arizona schools. You were 0 for 12 in your last three pointers. This is something we talked about earlier in the season, actually, me and you, when you started off cold from outside and finally made one down that Thanksgiving tournament in Anaheim. What goes into breaking out of a funk and kind of getting your confidence back to where you, you feel like, okay, let me just let it fly rather than I need to drive now or I need to shoot a mid-range jumper. Uh, and did you do anything extra last week to try to get back on track? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's I've had these stretches before in my career. Obviously, I started, you know, one of 10 or whatever from three. Had that stretch where I went 10 of 11, then 0 of 12, and now I've left four or five. But you know, my dad always tells me I'm a player that plays with confidence and that can be good and bad where, you know, when I'm really heating up and I'm feeling good, it's, you know, high risk. And But if I'm not feeling good and emotionally I'm down, you know, sometimes I'll go in a hole. And so that's something I've had to work through. And, uh, you know, the past two seasons I've had, um, I'm not sure if you remember, but last season, you know, I had a couple games where I got benched. I think it was Oregon and one other game where I didn't start and, you know, I was just going through an offensive rut to say the least. But, you know, thankfully I was able to bounce out of it sooner rather than later. You know, last year, I think, and last year and the year prior at Rice, I had about a seven or eight game stretch where I really, you know, just couldn't shoot the ball. Um, but I think I only kept it to, you know, three or four, and then it got back into a rhythm this past game. But I think I just tried to, you know, take, you know, what the staff and my teammates and all that stuff, my parents, and everyone tells me, and, you know, they trust me. And, you know, sometimes, like I was telling people the other day, I try and play as efficient as possible. You know, I think that's my thing. I try and be an efficient player when I'm not making shots. That's where I'm like, oh, I should be doing something else. I should be going to the hoop. But my teammates trust me. And I, I try to think of, you know, even when like Kobe and MJ say, you know, you missed 20 straight shots, you shouldn't hesitate on the 21st, um, something like that. So that's really, um, you know, mindset I'm trying to get myself into, especially in moments where um, Isaiah's out and we really need, you know, extra scoring and people to step up. And so, um, you know, I just knew I, I couldn't really hesitate that game and, Thankfully, I was knocking down my shots. So. Definitely were there. Uh, is there ever, a, when you look at film or anything, do you ever check and see about the mechanics? Does that ever get out of whack a little bit? You got a little bit of a funky shot, you know, with the pushing it in front of your, your face. Does that ever come into it, or is it usually just the confidence factor for you? Um, it's a little bit of mechanics. Sometimes I, I tend to hold the ball a little bit longer when um, I'm hesitating. Thankfully, I, I think I noticed that during Arizona a little bit. I watched that. And I kind of went back to watch the Stanford game um, when I hit a few threes. Um, but I, I just got to be able to trust it and release it right away. And, you know, mm -hmm. obviously I was getting extra reps, with, you know, with Capco a couple of days and just making sure that I'm ready to go for the UCLA game. Because obviously, you know, two biggest games of the year, UCLA at home and then UCLA at UCLA. So, yeah, thankfully, uh, you know, I was heating up a little bit that night. Yeah, obviously you had a great game. But I thought this was the team's most complete game because of the way you guys got contributions from so many people. Isaiah being out, Boogie having an off night, and yet you guys found a way to win because everyone else seemed to step up their game. You had a phenomenal career game, but everyone else seemed to play their role to its peak. And whether that was Ethan Anderson or Max coming off the bench, Reese Dixon Waters with his career high, what did that show you about this club, and how do you guys find that well-rounded, deep effort more consistently? Yeah, I think I think you hit it on the you know on the head. It's uh, guys like Reese and 
I thought Max played, you know, maybe his best game of the season. Reese did. Uh, I thought Ethan played spectacular on the defensive end and hit a huge three for us and made a couple of nice layups. And um, obviously Chavez did his normal stuff, physical, gritty. But, it, yeah, it was big time. You know, guys came in, they stepped up in big time moments. And um, it's something that, you know, it's great to see guys, you know, really fill a role in that regard. And especially with Isaiah out, and it was a kind of a must-win game for us going down the stretch. And, um, you know, it's just it's just a game where we got to keep it going. You know, it's, it's something where we can't have it just show up for UCLA. And, you know, because, you know, earlier in the week Pacific, we played down to our competition. And uh, we need to get those contributions from everybody, including myself, on a weekly and nightly basis, um, especially going into Washington and Washington State, which – are two uh, you know teams that we can't take for granted at all. The two you know good good teams. They're both. I think Washington State's or Washington's a game behind us in conference. Obviously, Washington State's on the bubble right now for March Madness. So it's two must win games for them. So it's got to be like that for us too. Is there a key to that consistency with this group? Uh, you know, is it a key to everyone finding that role? I mean, that was one of the things I thought last year you guys did so well is everyone seemed to find their role early in the year and kind of were able to play into it as the season progressed a little bit more. Maybe this season that that hasn't necessarily gelled that way. Is that something you guys can find here, you know, on this last stretch run, you think? Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, we've started to show glimpses of it recently, especially Arizona. Um, you know, I missed a lot of shots. Um, but the ball moved really well. I think that was our best offensive game we've had all year. Um, UCLA, obviously, we played really well. Guys really embracing the roles, and I think that's big going down the stretch. Um, you know, last year, obviously, when you got a talent like Evan, who's willing to be so pass-first almost and be able to get guys involved, you know, just reflects on the whole team. But um, obviously, it's harder without a guy like Evan, you know, who's able to, you know, bring that much to the table. But, you know, I think we're hitting uh, kind of our stride right at the perfect mo- moment going into uh, – this week and then the Oregon trip and then home against Arizona and UCLA at UCLA. If we can keep this up, you know, I think we just got to be ready and really take every opponent as seriously as the next one. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. And as long as uh, everyone continues to, you know, embrace what they're good at and do what they're good at out there, then uh, I think we, you know, like I said, I think we can really make a deep March Madness run. They keep getting performances like uh, 27 points, 12 rebounds, five blocks, four assists, and a steal. I think that'll help out, too. Uh, your performance earned you Pac-12 Player of the Week honors. And I don't know if you saw the other nominees, but I, I'm one of the voters on that. It was absolutely stacked this week. The, the deepest group of nominees all season. I mean, you got uh, Jordan Shepard going for 33 and an upset win over Oregon. I mean, just everyone in, in that, that nominee list was, put up really big numbers to earn the honor this week. What does that mean to you, uh, especially with seeing some of those other nominees this week? Yeah, I saw Shepard. I saw Mather, and I saw a few other guys had really good performances. Um, it's awesome. You know, I'm blessed to fortunately win that award. You know, it's a great weekly thing. And, uh, you know, it's awesome coming off kind of the UCLA game, too. You know, it's, it's just a combination of the two that are awesome or uh, really cool and, you know, something I'll always remember. Um, but honestly, it's it's kind of just next week for me. You know, I got to be able to prove that I can consistently uh, make a big time impact, especially once we get Isaiah back to, you know, being able to mesh well together and, you know, just bring it on both ends every night. And so um, we just got to be able to, as a team, consistently play day in and day out. So we're looking to prove that this week. I don't know if you saw, but you were one of seven USC athletes to win this week in various sports 
uh, player of the week honors uh, from the conference, six player of the week and one defensive player of the week, I think is what it was. What does that kind of say about the culture around USC athletics right now? You I mean, you got Lincoln Riley with the football team. You got some of those players coming out to, to help cheer you guys on. I've seen you guys at women's games as well. What, what, what kind of is the culture around USC athletics and, you know, maybe, can you compare it a little bit to Rice and where you were at, de- at there? Because last year, I don't think you could really compare with, with the pandemic and everything. But just, you know, how does it feel being a, a USC student athlete right now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely one of the craziest things. You know, this is the reason I signed up for USC in the first place. You know, I knew it was a historically good ac- acad- uh, athletic school, academic too. But, you know, the energy is just crazy. And that's what I think, um, that's what's so cool about us, you know, now being I don't know, you know, in the, in the last few years, really building our basketball program when now uh, you got Lincoln Riley in the building too. So, you know, we're looking to hope to have a top five basketball slash football school and, you know, overall athletic school. I know track and field is really good and all that stuff. They win all those things, all those championships. So we're hoping to add to that, you know, we're hoping to continue to prove that we're one of the best athletic programs in the entire country. Um, the energy, I think the fans are reflecting that the energy has been great. I mean, we had, you know, 10,000 people there the other day and I'm sure the football games obviously are going to be packed. And um, so we're hoping to continue to play well, to be able to really, you know, reward our fans for showing so much support. Well, there's a parade in front of the, the down Figueroa today for the Rams. So we'll see if we can get a USC parade uh, for a, for a basketball or a football championship going forward. And the basketball team's obviously doing its part to contribute 21 and four right now, second in the pac 12. You've been ranked all year since the first in season top 25 came out. What's it going to take for this team? What's one key maybe for this team to make a run at that pac 12 title, a pac 12 tournament, potentially another uh, March Madness run. What, what's, what's the key for you uh, to, to be able to, for this team to take it up to its potential? I think it's probably just consistency and uh, you know, everybody buying in, you know, I think night in night out, we got to come with the same energy. You know, we play we always play up to our competition. Um, we can't play down. Uh, I think, you see, you know, we're up five or six at Arizona, five minutes left. And, you know, we had them, you know, unfortunately, we, we kind of lost it on the stretch. But you see where we can compete with the best teams in the country. And so going forward, we got to be able to bring that energy on a nightly basis and take care of the teams that we should have and, you know, compete with the teams that we should. So, you know, we're ready to go. We have more energy than we've had all year. Momentum's through the roof. So we're all excited, uh, you know, heading uh, tomorrow and uh, just the rest of the season. Well, hopefully the Galen Center will be packed tomorrow night. Hopefully it'll be packed uh, on a Sunday as well. And that last home game against Arizona, I know it's going to be packed. Uh, but hopefully you guys are continuing to get the support uh, that you guys deserve after what you guys have been building the last couple of years. And, you know, maybe even you guys can get Andy to take you guys to the Super Bowl with him. Um, you know, like he got to go with, with his, his wife. So uh, I don't know what it takes to, to get those tickets uh, thrown into the mix for you guys. But, uh, you know, apparently it, it's good to be a USC coach right now with uh, him and Lincoln both being able to go to the go to the game. But, Drew, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. And congratulations again on the big win over UCLA. We'll see what you guys can do going forward this last stretch run. Awesome. Really appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. And now we'll bring in our guest, Anthony Garib, who was in the building for Saturday night's wild crosstown showdown basketball matchup between USC, UCLA. The Trojans come out on top 67 64. I mean, the atmosphere looked electric. Anthony, though, is interning with us here at uscfootball.com as well as being a sports editor for the Daily Trojan, reporting on high school sports for the Daily Breeze, doing some behind-the-scenes work for the LA Times. He's a hustler. He's a grinder. The type of guy that dives on the floor for some loose balls, gets you those extra possessions that don't show up in the box score, metaphorically at least. So that's why we got Anthony jumping on with us. He was in the building. Anthony, thanks for jumping on and squeezing in. Between your busy schedule, I know you got a lot going on. But, but I got to say, I'm jealous. I'm a jealous of you, man. I wanted to be there at the Galen Center, especially when I see the broadcast. I'm watching it from afar. I hear the atmosphere. I see the social media clips. Everyone's going wild. The student section was crazy, it looked like. And you could tell the place was rocking. But being in the arena, what was the atmosphere like for you? What did you think? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me. Appreciate that introduction. I might, you know, <laughs> If you could do that again, I'm going to record that and play that wherever <laughs> I go. That, that was great. But yeah, I mean, the atmosphere was electric, to say the least. Uh, it Honestly, I've covered USC basketball this year for the most part. Last year, obviously, there were no fans, so I really wasn't sure how that would look in a type of game like this. And, I mean, it was above all the expectations I really had. It was rocking. I mean, after every tiny little moment, the crowd would go crazy. I mean, if it was just even a defensive rebound, everyone was just erupting. And it was a really great environment to play. And I can only imagine what it meant for the players, especially some that, you know, had been around last year with no fans, just to kind of see that hype of playing UCLA at home. I'm sure it paid off. And it was amazing. I mean, the players really fed off of it. I think Andy Enfield, after the game, Love that. He credited the marketing team. He said, we want to see more of this. Um, I mean, that's 21 and four. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they start to kind of heat up in terms of uh, the attendance. But yeah, the atmosphere was just amazing. Outstanding. I mean, something I hope can be replicated because I've been at games where it's been very quiet. It's seemed just like even in, against like great opponents. The Stanford game was one that I thought would be kind of more wild up. Student section wasn't completely full. So I hopefully this is something that can continue. Um, that atmosphere was just unique, just amazing. Something that, you know, I could feel in my body that it was something special, especially while watching and just being around, you know, the whole day had such a buzz, just being on campus that whole week had a lot of buzz around it. Um, and, and it really lived up to the hype, you know, in my opinion, just being there and covering it. What was the student section like, uh, when you were going to the arena, uh, the media, we have a separate entrance for those who don't know, uh, but it looked like the student section was wrapped around to that side of the building as well. Yeah. So funny enough, once I was in the line to get into the media, UCLA's team bus came around 
and they i just heard a bunch of booze i just realized oh, okay that's ucla <laughs> i mean it was wrapped around yeah i mean it's the, it was for sure the, the largest crowd i've seen in terms of student section ever i mean and i well i've been around for two years but it's for sure it was for sure the, the largest and i think they mentioned during the game um but it was wrapped around i mean people were lined up from the morning which usually doesn't happen um so i mean the energy was high it, it was just a really special environment yeah, I saw one uh, clip where Andy was handing out some pizzas to some of the people in the front row and asked them when they got there, and they said 9 a.m. The <laughs> yeah. game was at 7 p.m., so they got there 10 hours early to line up to be the first one to have their, their pick of seats, um, which is awesome. That's awesome. We love seeing that. You know, That's the type of engagement that USC basketball has been missing for so long, and especially, like you mentioned, after last year where there were just no fans, when it was such a dynamic team and seeing such a dynamic player in Evan Mobley that no one actually actually got to see in person, unfortunately, unless they went to Indianapolis. And that was kind of a unique atmosphere in, in and of itself. But you find out you were the guy, you were the one who first reported that Evan's little brother, Isaiah, wasn't dressed out. USC's leading scorer, leading rebounder. He entered the week as their leading uh, assist man as well. You saw that he wasn't dressed out, and eventually it was revealed he was suffering from lingering concussion-like symptoms. When you're looking at that, what, what went through your head when you realized he wasn't going to play because honestly, I said in a thread on our message board on the Peristyle that I'd be surprised if USC had kept it within 15 without him because they just had not played well. They had not played to their potential leading up to the game, except for Arizona the first 35 minutes or so, but still didn't finish off a complete game there. And funny story, I was actually texting with one of the USC staff members after the game about the win, and I relayed that that comment that, uh, that I had said about you know them keeping it within 15 minutes, and I got ghosted. They stopped it. They immediately stopped texting me. Uh, so uh, we'll see if they, they come back around uh, there. But yeah, I, I thought it was it's going to be really difficult without a, Isaiah Mobley. I didn't think they really had much of a chance. What was your kind of initial interpretation seeing him sitting out and, and kind of seeing the vibe of the rest of the team? No, I was definitely with you. I mean, they had mentioned a couple of days before that they expected him to play. It was a day to day type situation. And, you know, I thought at home against UCLA, this, this is a game that Isaiah obviously we want to take a shot in and they said he was fitting in for a mask. Um, so when I walked in and saw he was not dressed, um, it was surprising, definitely very surprising. Cause, cause right then I just knew, all right, yeah, there's really no chance he's playing because everyone else was warming up. And I didn't think, I honestly didn't think they were going to win. I was with you. I thought, you know, okay, if they keep it close, then they'll be lucky because of what happened against Pacific. I mean, you can't, you can't watch that game and think no Isaiah Mobley against UCLA, they'll, they'll have a shot. And I mean, I really was surprised by the emergence of Drew Peterson. His his role this year, last year, he was a little bit inconsistent. Um, he had some spurts where he just wouldn't do much on offense. He's he's really coming to his own this year. And Andy Enfield mentioned after the game that they wanted to see who would step up. And he stepped up. And that was the key, obviously. And I mean, Isaiah, you mentioned it. I mean, he was a team in points, rebounds, assists, all that. But he's also just a huge part of that defense. He's he's so versatile in that end. Uh, he brings size. You know, you take him out, and really, you just have Chavez Goodwin, Joshua Morgan. That's about it in terms of your your size. And the good thing is that they're playing a UCLA team that's not big. If you're going to play a different team, might have been a different story. So that was probably just a, a thing that they were able to adjust to. But I mean, Isaiah is huge. Obviously, you know, is he going to be available now going into the Washington schools? That's a question. But I was with you. I mean, I was a lot of people also were, were telling me that they didn't think that they were going to win without him. Uh, obviously, that wasn't the case. But 
it's a it's a blow, but it's it was a blow in the moment. But once you come out of that game, I think that gives you a lot of confidence that hey, you know, we can still win. You know, even obviously you want Isaiah to play, but it kind of gives you the confidence that hey, you know, we can still make it work. I think it showed the depth of this team for the first time this season, which is something we thought would be a real big strength throughout the season. Hey, a different guy can step up every single night. You know, different guys are going to be able to fill different roles, and a lot of times. Guys just haven't filled those roles we expected for them. You know, you come into the season, you expect Max Agbuck-Polo to stand in the corner, make some threes, play tremendous defense for you. And that hasn't really been the case, but he played great the other night. He didn't make those threes, but he had eight points. He attacked the basket, you know, had a big stretch where he had, I think it was a, a bucket, a block, and then a bucket to tie the game up. You know, Ethan Anderson, I thought, played really well in his role, just, you know, not trying to do too much. And that was something that was kind of interesting because when someone's out, you got to have guys step up and do a little bit more than they're than they're than they're normally doing, but it felt more like everybody just stepped up and did what they're capable of and what you kind of expected them from outside of Drew Peterson. I mean, he went off; he was outstanding. Uh, first, just what impressed you the most about Drew's performance, and then we'll get into kind of the team and everyone else's. Yeah, I mean his his shot just it looked so smooth, and I thought he looked comfortable on offense. He looked relaxed in his movement. He wasn't – honestly, I didn't think he was in a rush at all at any time. He was kind of going at his own pace. Um, obviously, 27 points. You shoot 9 for 13 and miss 1-3. I mean, <laughs> that's an amazing game. But the thing that was just exceptional to me was he had five blocks and 12 rebounds, and he was he was basically doing everything. Um, and I thought his defense on Johnny Juzang was, was outstanding, um, you know, really contesting him, making him un- uncomfortable. Uh, his just He just had an overall – amazing game. I mean, his stroke just looked great. Just an outstanding three-point shooter in that game. Um, his mid-range, we know, is something that he's capable of doing. He was on. He was basically just on fire. I thought there were kind of moments where I was like, okay, I don't know if that one's going in. And then obviously the Cody Riley three, I was just crazy how that one went in. Step back and I, he mentioned after the game that that was the moment where he knew, you know, this was different. I would have thought that would have been earlier, <laughs> but, but he was just, just great. I mean, he also had four assists, so he was playing in that kind of playmaking role as well. And, you know, with Boogie Ellis, who played poorly, you needed somebody to step up in, 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 for your guards, and he really stepped up. Um, I was just very impressed. But just he was just relaxing, like he was just in his, in his moment, in his environment, wasn't worried about anything. Whenever something was going bad, he would just stay calm, play his game, and, and that's really what he did. I mean, it's a good, it's a good sign for someone who shot, was it one for 13 against Arizona, and then one for six against Arizona State, you know, he he was in a slump and he get, he got out of it in, in a really big way. I mean, hopefully he can go in shorter slumps and then have more of these big games. But, I, I mean, he he was really the story. I'm mean, definitely, after I after I left that game, I thought, wow, I'm, this is this is the Drew Peterson game. It's forever going to be known as that. Yeah, he, he was phenomenal. I mean, a career high in points, a career high in blocks, which he had set, you know, one game prior uh, against Pacific, which helped him get – he was named Pac-12 Player of the Week because not only – and it was it was the most stacked week that there had been. I mean, Jordan Shepard scores, I think, 33 for Cal to beat Oregon. He had a monster week. Uh, Benedict Matherin had a monster week. You know, there were multiple players that had really big weeks. And so, you know, you're looking at the nominees and you're, like, trying to weigh it out. I just thought the overall performance of Drew throughout the week, I mean, to have nine blocks in those two games, you know, he was – I think he shot over like 60% for the week. Uh, he was phenomenal all week. And that game, 
the career high in points, career high in blocks, one away from tying his career high in rebounds, and then to add four assists on there, made all but one free throw. Obviously, USC struggled in that area. The free throw shooting was terrific on Saturday. So I thought he just had that all-around game. And it's, it's kind of interesting. He was 0 for 12 shooting threes in, in the four games prior to that. But when he shoots with confidence and plays with confidence, you saw on Saturday – how he can score in three different ways, three different levels. And that's one of the things he talked about this that he really worked on this offseason is being a three-level scorer with those turnarounds, the fadeaways, all that stuff. And, you know, he put it all together on Saturday, which tells you what this team could be capable of when he's on when he catches fire. And now it, it doesn't take him to be on fire every game for them to play, you know, really well, because I think what we saw was everyone else stepping up. What like we talked about Reese Dixon waters. Also another guy that stepped up. He, you know, he had 10 points career high along with Max Agbapola, Ethan Anderson, you know, those two guys, you know, have been the fifth guy that is, has rotated in as a, the fifth starter this season, but neither one of them has played great all season. And I thought both of them played really well. You know, you got contributions up and down. Chavez Goodwin contributed for you, even though he didn't have a big game. And without Boogie Ellis, I mean, you had your number one scorer not playing and your number two scorer going over, and still USC wins a top 25 matchup and, you know, beats a rival. I, I thought it was really impressive, the team performance as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I personally, you know, was, was surprised about Boogie Ellis' performance. I thought he would have had a better game, went over 7. He, he had two assists, four rebounds two steals. I mean, it really didn't do much. And you mentioned it. I mean, everyone, everyone stepped up to the, to the best of their ability, really. Um, I agree with Reese Dixon Waters. I thought this was for sure his best game because he made timely buckets. You know, when there were things that were, the offense started to stall and UCLA started to make a run, he made good plays and that's what you want. I mean, he's a, he's still technically a freshman and he has a lot of potential. Also just his defense. I thought that's what Andy Hanfield likes. You know, he wants, he wants your players to, the players to give effort on that side of the ball and, and make your shots on the other end when you get them. And that's what Max Tabon Polo did. That's what Reese Dixon Waters did. I thought Harrison Hornery's nine minutes, he was the first player off the bench. It was pretty surprising. Um, we didn't see any Kobe Johnson. Um, I, I, I really liked the Isaiah White insertions in the starting lineup. I thought this was a game where a player like Isaiah White, who just dives on everything, he hustles, he doesn't care, he goes for the rebounds. That's this is a game you you want him to play in. Um, he only played eleven minutes, but it was a good eleven minutes. And you know, I thought the overall team effort was was great. I mean, the depth was a question, like you mentioned, coming into the season. I personally thought that their depth was great, and I think it really showed against UCLA. The question now is, can they continue to replicate that in games? Because there's some games where they're just it's just not there. The depth, it's just they're just not looking good on offense. The rhythm isn't there. That's when Isaiah Mobley really starts to just take initiative on that side of the ball. Obviously, it's ideally what you want is a balanced attack on offense with a lot of depth. And if this game is one that Drew Peterson can, you know, build on and continue to, to score, like you said, on three levels, it's going to be dangerous because you still have Boogie Ellis who's just sitting there waiting and he's going to score. He only played 20 minutes, which looking at it now is pretty, um, pretty surprising. He usually is up there in the 30s. And he, yeah, like you said, he didn't have a good game and they still managed to win it. And without their top two scores, I mean, this is a, it's very, it's a, it's a good sign when you have these. The problem is now, can you keep it up? That's the question. Can you be consistent with it? Because we've seen that sometimes, you know, they just, they're just not consistent with the depth and the performance they get from their bench and from the other players. 
Yeah, that brings us to the question. I mean, it's the big one and the one that we've kind of asked all season. What do you think it will take for this team to play consistently to their capabilities and play 40 minutes like they actually did on – well, I don't even know if they played a full 40 minutes on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, they played about 38. That last couple of minutes oh, was a yeah. little bit shaky as well. I don't know how the uh, the arena was reacting to, to that. Uh, but well, what do you think it's going to take for that, them to consistently play at, at that upper echelon? Yeah, I mean, well, it's not just the defense, I think, for me. I mean, they really got to rely on that. That's what they did against UCLA. That's what I thought they would have to do. You can't you can't outpace them. You can't outscore them. Uh, they got to grind it out, and they did that. In, in, the, in their losses, really, obviously the Arizona one, you know, they just went so cold at the end. But, you know, their defense was letting them up a little bit. And obviously when you don't score, it doesn't matter what you do on the other end. You're just not going to win the game. That, so they've got to continue to rely on that. And another one is scoring droughts. They, they're they really prone to having these droughts and just two, four, five minutes of just no field goals, no points. I thought that was the difference in UCLA's game. They didn't really have any scoring droughts. Um, I think the, the largest might have been two minutes, um, and that's good. And, and once that was happening, they were also forcing UCLA into droughts. UCLA would go on runs, and then they would kind of settle out. You've got to rely on that defense. You've got to try to use that to build momentum on the other side of the ball because that's really what's, what it's going to take. We've seen them do it. The problem is it just hasn't been consistent, like you said. But the one consistency they've had is their defense. Their defense has been great for basically every game. If they continue to rely on that, you can start to gain some momentum. And just they've got to take care of business. I mean, that Pacific game, it's a six-point win, but – I mean, it's basically like a loss in some of the players' minds, especially when they went into that UCLA game. They really wanted to prove people wrong about that. They've got to take care of their business. You've got the Washington schools, and you go on the road against the Oregon schools, and then you have, obviously, Arizona, UCLA in the final two games. Those, for, you know, you've got to get revenge against Oregon. <laughs> I think that's that's a key thing. If you go into the final two games on a six-game winning streak, that's good momentum. For me, personally, I'm a, I think their defense is what's really going to know elevate them to another level and keep that consistency going yeah and the defense is something that we was phenomenal all the 2021 both in the spring and in the in the fall but 2022 when you start the season I mean you start the calendar year with that that long COVID pause the defense just wasn't the same when it came back but it seems like they're slowly rounding back into form now part of it is you're playing conference opponents. They know what your defense can do. They, It's a little bit different. That's one of the things I thought was interesting when they got in the tournament last year is hearing the opposing players and opposing coaches say, you can't prepare for this. Well, if you're in a conference and you've seen it for a couple of years, you get a little bit better idea of it. Whereas if you're, you know, being it's being sprung on you two days after you're playing a different type of opponent might be a little bit different in the NCAA tournament. So that might actually help USC as they go forward. You know, maybe the defense plays a little bit higher level in the tournament once again, but in conference, you know, everyone knows everybody so everyone knows everybody's tendencies a little bit uh, which helps on the defensive end as well for USC because that's one of the things with Juzang you know Drew Peterson talked about you know the tendencies they were trying to play with him and trying to keep him and they've done really well against him um, the last two years keeping him in check uh, and USC's defense play they their matchups play really well against UCLA though I thought this year UCLA adding Miles Johnson if they played him and Cody Riley together just having that extra rim protection would be a difference maker for them because that's where USC had dominated them all last season. And I thought Miles Johnson had a really big game for UCLA coming off the bench, and he started the second half for him just chewing up those offensive rebounds, but they just couldn't make enough shots. 
And that's one of the things that UCLA, like last year at Poly Pavilion, if you remember, UCLA hit a ton of tough mid-range shots. Those are the shots analytically you want teams to take. But UCLA is really, really good at knocking those down, Giant Juzang in particular. And we didn't see that uh, on Saturday. So that's one of the things when they match up again at Poly Pavilion, that'll be an interesting, you know, see what kind of tweaks are made there and see if UCLA is knocking down some of those those mid-range games. But before they get to those games, they got to win this week, Washington, Washington State. You know, Washington's been playing a lot better recently, but that's a team that you can't lose to. It's just going to, it's going to, it's a resume killer. You got a big resume boost, even though USC didn't really take a jump in the net rankings, big resume boost to get that first top 25 win, to get another quad one win against UCLA, to kind of prove to AP voters and everyone else, hey, they can win a big game. They can win a top 25 game. So, now you got to avoid the letdown, though. How big are these games against Washington and Washington State? Washington State, a team that's you know, got a solid net ranking, which could help them as well with a, a quad one, quad two win as well. Yeah, both are massive. I think when you get to this point of the season, um, you know, with around, what is it, six games, seven games remaining, I mean, every game counts. It, it's very important. I think Washington and Washington State, they're both kind of in the middle of the pack. And you kind of mentioned it as well. I mean, these are resume hits if you lose either one of those games, especially at home. Washington State obviously was a tough game earlier in the season. They can they can beat these teams. That's really what it what, it, what it's going to take. They have to just continue to try to be consistent with what they're doing. I know that, like you mentioned, Washington, Washington is gaining steam. They had a tough loss against Arizona, but it, it is what it is. I mean... Um, but this is this is an important game. I mean, they're they're doing down. It's almost it's mid February at this point. Any type of loss right now against the team you're supposed to beat will hurt you. Will hurt your rankings. I personally thought that they would have, you know, gone up a little bit more in the AP poll. I think they only went two spots. Um, that might be a reflection of maybe how the committee sees UCLA now. But th- these are big games. I mean, you gotta you gotta rack up as much wins as you get because I still don't think that they have they're getting the respect that. You might think, you know, 21 and four is a really great record. The problem is people still don't, they don't, they don't take USC for real. Um, they still think, you know, oh, they haven't really played anyone. You know, they, they haven't done that. So you got to close out the season strong. And it starts with this, this two game homestand, just keep it simple. You, you know, you don't have a lot of pressure on you. Just keep it simple. You're at home before you go on a, a real big road trip against the Oregon teams. And then the last two games, you're basically at home. So it's it's a it's a it's an important stretch. It's something that they'll have to obviously get out with uh, with two victories and then take it game by game. That's how I would approach it. These are these are good teams. You can't take them easy. I think Andy Enfield will definitely emphasize that after, after Pacific. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see how they come out. Yeah, those last three games at Oregon, at home against Arizona, and then on the road at UCLA. I mean, that's going to be a three-game stretch that will determine their Pac-12 seeding in particular and determine potentially even their their NCAA tournament hopes and seeding for sure. Um, you know, if they could sweep out somehow there, you're going to be a one or a two seed going into the, the Pac-12 tournament. You've got to get in the top four to get a bye. I think that's huge for them. You don't want to be playing that extra day if you can help it. You know, to have an opportunity to potentially win that Pac-12 tournament. USC is capable of winning the Pac-12 tournament. They've shown they can beat Arizona. They were up by six in that last uh, five minutes. They've already beat UCLA. You know, they beat Oregon, beat down Oregon multiple times last year. So they can beat anybody in this conference. But 
it helps to have a good seed. If you get that two or three seed, avoid Arizona until the final game, potentially. I think that's even uh, even uh, important as well. So those will be really important, but you got to take care of the, the business up front, and that's Washington, Washington State. Washington comes in. Obviously, they're going to play the zone. USC is going to have to knock down some shots, but also pass really well, and that's where I think Isaiah Mobley, if he's back, the high-low passing that he has it will be important there. Um, and then it's a late-night game, 8.30 p.m., um, which I thought was really late night until I come here to the East Coast. There is a ton of games that start at 9 p.m. over here on the East Coast for whatever reason. I guess so, you know, so the West Coast viewing fan can see it at 6 p.m. when Duke starts against somebody at 9 p.m. So USC fans need to come out like it was Saturday. I know it's not going to be the same type of atmosphere, but still need to bring that that energy to, to Galen Center. We'll see how, how they bounce back because USC fans get up for the UCLA game. And often they get up for the Arizona game because there's a ton of Arizona fans there. How are they going to do for Washington, Washington State, the other two home games that they have going in to this final stretch before they play that Arizona game where hopefully it'll be sold out once again. Hopefully it's a, it's a packed house both times this week as well, but I, I'm not necessarily seeing that happening. We'll see. But uh, we'll see how the team can feed off of it too because you mentioned that Stanford game that they lost uh, at home. Obviously, no fans were allowed in attendance for that. So, you know, when you're in those games, a, a team that's maybe a little bit less quality than you, the fans can really, you know, push you forward. So it'd be great to see the fans get out there and, and be full, fully invested for these last three home games as well. Yeah, and I, this is something the players want. I mean, obviously, you want, you want people to come out to your games. But the, last year, I thought if they had fans around – I think it would have helped this year because there would have been a different buzz around the team. I, you know, they came off an elite eight. Obviously, you don't have Evan Mobley anymore, but most of the pieces were still there. You bring an enticing transfer like Boogie Ellis. I, I expected, you know, most of the games to be full. It just it just hasn't happened. Um, hopefully, a game against UCLA, a big win like that, can create energy around them and, and have people want to come out. I mean, it's you know, for me personally, I've enjoyed being around USC hoops because it's just it's not as stressful as football. It really isn't. And it's great. It's great, great basketball, in my opinion. So why not? And and I'm, I'm with you. The 8.30 p.m. start time, at least it's on a Thursday. Most students don't have class on Friday, so they could they could do that. But I'm, I'm very interested to see how many people come out because I think these are good games. You want to kind of build that consistent student section because if the student section is there, I mean, that, that's a big help. Hey, when I was in college, Thursday night was college night at the bars and stuff. So you might as well go to a game first, yeah. do a little pre-gaming, hit up the game, and then hit up the 9-0 afterwards. It oh, sounds yeah. like a great Thursday night if you don't have class on Friday or even if you have an 8 o'clock class because that used to be my case on Fridays. You, know, you still make it work, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, exactly. You could always make it work. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know about 8 a.m. Friday if I would do that, but you could always do it. As a baseball player, there was you had to get as many early classes as possible. So you you know Monday, Wednesday, Friday at eight a.m. You know get in there, get it done, get it out of the way, so you could travel for Friday uh, Friday evening games and whatnot. So there was not much much of a choice there for me. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, you know I can't I can't relate. I can't relate. <laughs> All right, Anthony. Well, thanks so much for jumping on and, and thanks so much for the great work you've been doing for us at uscfootball.com. If you guys didn't read his rapid recap or see him, his instant analysis along with Nicole after the game, wrapping up that incredible win that USC had and one that we hope jumpstarts the fan attendance at home and, and can continue to go from here these last few games. And uh, we'll see how the Trojans uh, perform 
Thursday when they take take the court against Washington at 8.30 p.m. A little bit late, but you guys can make it out. And hopefully we'll see Isaiah Mobley back out there. I want to see everybody healthy and uh, able to play at their, their full potential. Yep, appreciate you having me, Shotgun. I'm, I'm going to have to start wearing those backward hats if I keep doing this in analysis. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if, if it works for you, if it, if it takes you into the, it gets you in the zone, in the shotgun zone, where you know whoever your host is has to you know nudge you to tell you to wrap it up, then go for it. Whatever works. <laughs> Definitely try it out. Thanks so much to Anthony for joining us, as well as Pac-12 Player of the Week, Drew Peterson, for hopping on the Herd on the Sideline podcast. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Make sure you like, subscribe, leave a five-star review, all those other things. Let us know your favorite part of the show on the Peristyle message boards. We appreciate you all for joining us. Hope you'll be back with us soon. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling. This has been the Herded on the Sidelines podcast, a part of the Peristyle podcast family. (laughs) 